What does it take to go from being good to great and then great to elite? What are the daily disciplines, mental preparations, and extremely high-level habits that you have to follow in order to become the best in the world? My conversation today is with a young man who's worked his way from the ground level up, hailing out of Napoleon, Michigan. Todd's become one of the best human performance coaches in the entire country. He uses his knowledge and his experience to train thousands of athletes and people in business to achieve their maximum potential and peak performance. Who he is and what he embodies will take you to the next level. Welcome to At The Podium. Hello again and welcome to At The Podium with Manuela Mesqua. I'm a financial advocate, CEO, father, husband, and as all of you know now, I'm a massive sports fan. I'm obsessed with encouraging people to dream and attack their unique vision for their life so that they can inspire others to do the same. I built this podcast a few years back to share the stories of high performers and help convert those stories into lessons to help you get closer to your hopes and dreams. Folks, today my guest is Todd Anderson, former walk-on turned starter and standout at Michigan State. He played football at the highest level and left it all on the field as he then transitioned into the NFL and had a short stint with the Rams. Todd is now an elite human performance coach, training some of the most high-level athletes in the entire world and business professionals. His competitive spirit and relentless drive has turned him into a powerhouse of a coach and given him the platform to turn good athletes into great athletes and great athletes into some of the most elite. I loved hearing Todd talk about his childhood story the lessons from his parents, and hearing his name for the first time as a starter at Spartan Stadium and hearing them shout out that he was from Napoleon, Michigan. One of my favorite stories of the season. And I know you're going to find a ton of value in today's conversation. Enjoy my conversation with Todd Anderson. Folks, we're here with a recently new friend of the show, of myself, One of the most exciting guys right now in the world of serial entrepreneurship, especially around human performance, Todd Anderson played football, Michigan State, 07 to 11, NFL with the Rams, retired, has now become a serial entrepreneur. But what Todd's known the most for right now is being a really high performance coach and one of the best in the space. Todd, I'm so glad you could fly in from Nashville to be with us in East Lansing, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Back home a little bit. Always great that. to come back. What was the first thing you did when you got onto campus? First thing I did was we went up upstairs at the uh, hotel and just looked at Spartan Stadium. My parents came up. You know, I'm only child, so whenever I'm in town, they like to spend time with me. But I went up to the top and I actually signed the rock at the graduate. Oh, did you really? Yeah, so that was the first thing I did. So you know the drill on the show. Love to start off by unpacking the childhood. Native of Napoleon, Michigan. Played sports at Napoleon High School. Obviously had a ton of honors while being a student athlete there. But what's your favorite childhood memory when you think back to Napoleon? Honestly, my favorite childhood memory is probably my senior year in baseball. 
that was my best sport. And I just remember my last district tournament, I had a bunch of home runs. I threw like 10 innings in one day and it just was the perfect ending to a high school career. But at that point, I wasn't even sure if I was going to play football or baseball. Baseball was my better sport. And if you asked me that day, I probably would end ended up playing baseball. I was talking to Eastern Michigan about potentially trying to play football and baseball. But looking back, that would have been nearly impossible. Well, and you had academic and all-state honors in football and wrestling. Yeah. Football, I didn't even get all-conference in my position, like my main position, which was linebacker. You know, I got it as a kicker and as an offensive lineman. Let's rewind that. Yeah. What were your three positions? Yeah. When you're in a small town, you do count everything. So like, just to give you reference, like Napoleon, Michigan, we have a blinking red light. We don't have – it's not even a stoplight. And we just got a subway, which is like a huge deal. So very small town. So yeah, I was a kicker, offensive line, linebacker. And I played offensive line most of my career because I wasn't in great shape. I wasn't very fit. Okay. And I really fell in love with the weight room my freshman year. By my senior year, I was going in before school by myself lifting. Yeah. And I kind of transformed my entire body. I was a different human being from my freshman year to my senior year. That's awesome. What do you think it was that created that sort of mental change for you that you said, hey, I'm going to prioritize my physical presence and performance yeah. moving forward? I think it was a combination of things. I'd be lying if I said like the physical aesthetic side of things didn't push me and, and motivate me because I think as a kid, self-image and how you feel about yourself and confidence, a lot of it comes from that. How you perceive yourself is really important. So I think that's honestly what started the motivation. You start feeling better, looking better, putting on a little muscle. And I think a lot of kids get into you know, strength conditioning because of that reason. And I think it's okay not to shy away from that. A lot of people tell you a story about sports performance, but it's, it's okay that you're trying to build self-confidence using the weight room. So that probably sparked the initial motivation and looking at muscle fitness magazines and all this stuff. But then started to realize I wasn't that great of an athlete. I, didn't, I wasn't excelling to a high level. And then I started realizing the more time I put in outside of the season, the better and better I'm doing. And then it just started to accelerate and snowball. And I basically became obsessed with what can I do to push myself to the limits? Can you think back to that time? Are there one or two teammates that really stood out as guys that committed kind of at that same level of discipline and intensity Man. that helped? To be honest, I did a lot of it by myself. But my best friend in high school, Lucas, his name was Lucas Cheese. he was such a better athlete than me our whole childhood. And I was always trying to catch up to him. And I think that that chip on my shoulder kind of pushed me to excel to the point where I did. But we did a lot of stuff together. And it wasn't a rivalry because he was so much better. But I always tried to catch up to him. And eventually, I was able to do that. And I think that chip kind of pushed me over the edge. So it was friendly. We were best friends. But at the same time, you want to beat him. You had shared with me that you're an only child. Which parent was more consistent in helping with your drive around sports? My parents were the best. I can't say enough about them. They were the perfect combination of supportive, but yet they would never push me. I was always driving the car and I was always the one that was asking to do stuff, but they would suggest things. So as a kid, you don't really know. So they would let me play all these different sports or ask if I wanted to play or ask if I wanted to go to camp. And they would pile all these resources into letting me do whatever I need to do to excel at sports. I mean, equipment, all this stuff. They were both teachers at my school. My dad was a high school teacher, my, my dad coached, and my mom was an elementary school teacher. She's still a principal. So they just went above and beyond to make sure that I had everything I needed to succeed, but yet they, they weren't driving. And I think that's where parents really fall into trouble. Me and my wife will go speak somewhere and parents are like, what did your parents do to motivate you to get to this point? 
And just by you asking that question, that's all already a red flag. You know, you're not going to do anything. You're a support system. You can be a soundboard. Being a soundboard is amazing for parents, but you know, that that kid has to want to do it. And you're never going to get to an elite level without them having that internal drive. I love that you acknowledge that. I've also obviously having Ava, who's 15, and Atlas, who's 13. I'm just really connecting with what you're sharing about your folks because my wife, Samantha, and I, we were just obsessed about introducing everything we can to them and then seeing where their curiosities take them. And we talk a lot about let's be the best advocate we can for them. Let's not be the one to say, hey, let's do more training, yeah. right? But, oh, hey, dad, I'd like to train more. Okay, great. Let's talk about right. that. Right. And as, as long as they're asking, eventually they're going to find something that's going to catch fire and they're going to be all in on it. It might not be what the parents necessarily know or expect, but I think as long as they find something, that's the goal, right? What a blessing too. I'm thinking about as you were sharing that experience with your parents and the way you described them to me. Well, first of all, Mr. and Mrs. Anderson, I always say, Outside of our military men and women and first-line responders, the most overlooked unsung heroes are the people who are teaching, educating, empowering, and developing servant leaders in this country. 100%. And those are the teachers. I could not agree with them. So thank you. What Jedis they were. Because parents aren't statistically like that. Right. It's funny because my mom got married when she was 19. They were young. And had me when she was 20. And now looking back at how old I am now, I'm 34, and I'm thinking like when she was giving me all this advice, this great advice, I'm thinking, I have no idea what I'm doing right now, and you are younger than me. It's impressive. And I don't have kids quite yet, but I think as parents, it's just playing that support role and doing your best. And if you're coming from a good place and just trying to be there for them, I I don't think things are going to go wrong. I love that. High school, so you're coming out of Napoleon exceptionally decorated. You could say, hey, you know, blinking stoplight, but you you had all state honors basically across the board. So there's something to be said about that. Michigan is still a power state for all sports. How did you choose Michigan State? Because this story is incredible. You're a walk-on. Yeah, it was wild. So I was basically planning to go to Adrian College, which is a Division three school. Michigan State wasn't even on the radar. I wouldn't even say that playing at Michigan State was a dream because it wasn't even remotely realistic in my head. So one day I get called to the office and Coach Treadwell is in the office, which was Michigan State's offensive coordinator at the time. And I looked at his shirt and I was like, I'm so confused at what's going on. And so play it back to that summer, Jackson High is a huge high school in Jackson, Michigan. They have a lot of great athletes. They've had four-star, five-star recruits come out of there. And Michigan State went to their head coach and asked if they had anyone because they had some potential walk-on spots available. And in that summer, I just jumped into a, a seven on seven. I, would, I was offensive lineman. I didn't yeah. even play tight end. We needed a tight end. Jumped in. I made a couple good catches. I had changed my body, so I was very athletic at the time and didn't even realize how well I could move just because you're growing and changing so fast. And, and their head coach saw me. And so he recommended to Michigan State that they come talk to me. And so just wow. out of nowhere. So then all of a sudden, wow. I get a preferred walk-on chance at Michigan State. My head's spinning. And I remember my parents, we had like a pros con list, almost like a Venn diagram. (laughs) Yeah. There was a lot of pros and cons and it came down to, am I going to regret not trying to do it? You know, it's a dream come true. But on the flip side, was I doubting myself? Absolutely. And was I way out of my league? A hundred percent. Like I had no business being there the first day, but I'm glad I did it. And I'm glad I stuck with it because it was probably the the most life-changing decision I made. And when I did make that decision, 
people in my hometown, I mean, no one thought I had a shot. There was a lot of controversy when I was in high school. My dad was a coach. I got brought up early when I was a sophomore. So I already kind of had a chip on my shoulder. And some of those same people, I, I knew they were just doubting and saying things. So that was always in the back of my head when I got to Michigan State. And that was probably not the most healthy driver. But when I had my lows, proving those people wrong, that definitely was in the mindset. So everything I've known about you for the last year, you're just operating from this incredible foundation of positivity and encouragement. When I bring up your name to two dozen teammates of yours that I've known and I've gotten to meet and get to know better, it's like eyes light up, they smile, nothing but good things. Oh, that's good to hear. Do you ever wonder, I'm always so frustrated, perplexed, confused as to why it's not easier to lead with kindness and encouragement. We're just always just in environments where people are just chipping at you, chipping at you, chipping at you. Yeah, it's tough. I think that when you respect people, they reciprocate that. And I think that you can demand a lot of respect. I was talking about Coach Antonio. He treated people with the most respect, but mm -hmm. in turn, he would get that right back. And I think that there's a way to do that. And the other thing is the chances that we're here right now and the opportunities we get, there's no reason to be upset. I think people that are negative is probably my biggest pet peeve. And I try to avoid that, sidestep it as much as I can. It's not always easy, but you can tell when somebody is, is grateful. Gratitude is probably the most underrated value, especially in this day and age. And there's just a lot of people who don't realize what they have and the opportunities that are given to them right now. I'm a huge fan of our friends at Sport of Kings out in LA. And as a listener of this show, you've got to check them out. Sport of Kings is an LA-based clothing brand that was started by two surfers and longtime friends. The story's incredible. They carry a wide range of premium tees, hoodies, sweats, caps, and more. And they're designed in-house folks made locally in Los Angeles and Orange County. Samantha and Ava and Atlas say, Dad, you're either in a blue suit and white shirt or Sport of Kings. And they're right. That's about it. Don't forget, Sport of Kings is a homegrown brand focused on quality over quantity. And if you go check them out online at S-O-K-F-Y. So basically, Sport of Kings Forever Young, S-O-K-F-Y dot com. And use the promo code PODIUM. You'll receive 20% off your entire order. Again, that's S-O-K-F-Y dot com. And use the promo code PODIUM at checkout for 20% off. And now, back to the show. What is maybe the earliest memory you have around gratitude where you just saw your parents leading with that? My mom in general, like she is someone that is so good at stopping and smelling the roses. Like every opportunity we get, every game when I was a kid, every time something great would happen, maybe it was a Spartan Stadium or yeah. you know an award or something, like she would point out and be like, who would have thought? Even coming back here last night, she's talking about like, who would have thought 10 years ago, kind of full circle moments. So yes. uh, that's a value that she instilled in me. And I'm, it's hard. It's easy to get caught up in the day to day, but to take a step back and think about the, the journey you've been on is something that's super powerful. Yeah. And I think it just sheds a different light on all the great things going on in life, which is easy to take for granted. 
You just reminded me of Bill Burke, who played here from 95 to 99. He was a quarterback. He's here in East Lansing with his incredible family, Christina Blake in Brooklyn. So, Bill, there's your shout out, my friend. Had a great conversation with him this morning, and and he was talking about the micro moments and like taking a second to like just pause and yeah. say, wow, that was awesome. And one of the things he talked to me about was how incredible it was when he was playing here, and he would have never thought that he was going to have a conversation and be interviewed by Lynn Swan, who was calling the game. And he was thinking about how he made it to the Giants, and then he didn't really make it in the league long term, but he thought, man, I didn't achieve my dream. But as he's gotten older, he's like, oh my gosh, I achieved my dream and more. Yeah. When I look back at all these micro moments and I'm like, man, how lucky was I? You have to have a list of those, especially from your time here, because you became scholarship two years in. My biggest moment, like micro moment that I remember, and hopefully I don't cry. I always cry when I tell the story. So, you know, I felt like I was always fighting this uphill battle in high school and everyone was doubting me. And so my senior year on the starting lineups, you know, they announce the starting lineups before the game and they say your name and your hometown. And mine just said Jackson, Michigan, because my address was technically Jackson, but I'm from Napoleon. And so I remember before the first game where I was getting my start, I went to our media guy and I was like, can you change it to Napoleon, Michigan? And we ran off the field. They did the starting lineups and we're supposed to be in the locker room. And I remember waiting outside the locker room in the tunnel and getting yelled at by the coaches. But I just had to wait to hear my name in Napoleon, Michigan (laughs) in Spartan Stadium. I told you I cried, but usually it's uh, not this intense. But Looking back, like it, it makes me more emotional because that was such a, a platform for what would, would take place. You were an assassin yeah. when you played with a ton of intensity. You know, Coach Tucker was like that perpetual, relentless motion forward. And I think about you that way when I hear teammates describe you. Talk about what it was like to be you, where the mindset was, where the intensity was, where you drew that from while you played here for four years. Yeah. I knew I had to out-effort everybody because I was never going to be the biggest, the fastest, all that stuff. So I think mentally going into it as a walk-on, you have to earn every single day, right? You have a couple bad plays the next day, you're dropping off the depth chart. If you're a four-star recruit, you have a lot more leeway. And so as as a walk-on, you truly do have to earn every day. So that's how I went into it. And that's how it felt. Like it was almost a stress, but in a good way. I think Nowadays, stress gets thrown around a little too lightly where stress can be a positive thing and it can motivate you and push you. And that's how it felt. When it was practice time, you know, I I would say I'm a pretty laid back, nice guy, like outside the field, but I became a different person on the field. It was an absolute mindset shift. I would do anything to get the job done. And I was trying to set a tone with the other team as a fullback that I don't know if we're going to win or lose, but you're going to walk out of here limping. It's going to be a bar fight. And I felt like in that position, I kind of had to lead the charge. I love that. I think of how playing fullback, I had a very good friend that played fullback at a very high level. And he always talked about how it truly being a game of inches outside of being the down lineman, that fullback position, man, it's intense. Can you think back to a time when you thought, man, I'm overmatched? Honestly, in my senior year, I felt like I got myself in such great shape and I was bigger than all the other linebackers. I had such confidence and that, that's where still I draw confidence in the weight room. And that's what I did all throughout my career. It's like, okay, if I, if I can get stronger than them, put in more work than them in the off season, I have all the confidence going into the game and that's pretty much everything. So 
There was one play I distinctly remember, and is Chris Borland from Wisconsin. It was the Big Ten Championship. He was a stud linebacker. He was like 5'10", like 240 fast. <laughs> bowling ball. Yeah, yeah. Like, and so it was the first oh. play, first play of the Big Ten Championship, uh-huh. and we ran like a little motion, and they knew the snap count, and we just demolish each other. I mean, we hit the hole and we both hit each other and we just fell like straight down, but we we were both like, I don't know what's going on. And then we had to try to run like a hurry up play the next play and I like couldn't remember where to go and it was like, you know, I'm sure the trainers don't want to hear this, but things were spinning a little bit there and uh, that was like the biggest collision I was a part of and he was a tough player. I mean, he was probably the best player I played against. You know, we played against a ton of great players. He was a stud. Like he played against Manny Teal, a lot of guys who were all... Oh, yeah. Players. He was the best linebacker I ever played against. When you think back to that team, I've heard so many stories. Every time I'm with guys that played for D'Antonio, I feel like what I walk away with. Coach D'Antonio being larger than life. Share with our listeners maybe a story that has maybe not been told if you've got one. This story, it goes so under the radar, and I don't know how more guys haven't talked about it. You know, I've told it once. It's pretty remarkable. So it was my last game ever, we were playing Georgia. It was the uh, Outback Bowl. It was 2012 at the time. And so we were practicing at a local high school. And the whole week, Coach Antonio always did these like motivational tactics. Yeah. They'd be kind of corny, but like looking back, I totally get it now. And so all week, he was playing the Muhammad Ali speech. It was like, I wrestle an alligator. I tussle with a whale. I handcuff lightning through thunder and jail. That one, like over and over. And we're like, all right, we get it. Last day of practice before the game. He plays over the loudspeakers and we're like, okay, like we've heard this, we got it. And so we all come together and all of a sudden he's like, what's that over there? And there's a practice field next to our, the field we're practicing on. And there's like a 15 foot alligator in the uh, field. And so we're all kind of like, oh, what's going on? You know, this is really weird. <laughs> and then this guy sprints out of our team huddle at the alligator and he has a helmet on practice uniform and shorts, just like we had on. And then we realized kind of after like, the guy started running that he hired in like an alligator wrestler. So we all kind of run after him. It's kind of like fun. We're all running, gets up to this alligator, s- grabs its tail, like whips its tail, slips, and the thing just smashes on this guy's knee. So the alligator's like literally <laughs> on this guy's knee, right? There's blood like coming out. And then he had a guy with him and the guy had like these cords on the alligator's teeth, like trying to pry it open. And we're all just in a circle and had no idea what to do. And this probably lasted five full minutes, which doesn't sound that long. But when you think oh about five God. minutes of standing there, hoping this alligator doesn't start rolling, because if it starts rolling, like the, his leg is gone. So eventually we all had to be still and kind of quiet. And I'm like, this is insane. They get it to like, let go. And so we all go in the locker room and we have like seven docs on staff at this point. And they're like, do you want us to stitch you up? Like, and he's like, no, I fight MMA. This is no big deal. This is nothing. He goes, just give me some bleach and a Q-tip. So in the middle of the locker room, he takes bleach and he like goes to clean his wounds out. And I don't think he realized how deep it was. And the Q-tip just like went into the wound. He just passed out in the middle of the locker room, like full, like ghost white, passed out, had to call an ambulance, whole thing. Like it was... The most outrageous scene I had ever seen. Luckily, there was no media because if there was media there, it would have been this whole debacle. And it's funny now, like talking to Coach D'Antonio about it because he said he was freaking out inside. He was like, I'm going to yeah. get sued. Or, you know, what's going to happen? 
because they didn't have like insurance or whatever. It was probably just like a fun thing, just trying to do like a fun motivational thing. And all <laughs> of a sudden, call a donor. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, seriously. Real quick. It was so outrageous. But I, it, what was wild uh, about it is the team, you're so focused before a game that I think that's why it doesn't get brought up is because you kind of just brush it off. It was about the game. Right. The game's on the next day. So that's- you're just on to the next thing. But looking back, it was the most outrageous situation I've ever been part of, probably. Oh my gosh. Favorite memory from that game since we're on that game. That was a good game. I had like a first down catch, which is very rare as fullback. You know, mm-hmm. they don't get the ball. But my favorite memory was like they scored. I remember we were we were getting beat up. First play of the game, we threw like a little out and it was a safety first play of the game mm-hmm. against us. They scored twice. But then I remember Le'Veon was a running back. We ran like a little zone outside and I, I chop block like their best player and they scored a touchdown. And then it kind of felt like, okay, like we can do this. Can and that was kind of like the start. We ended up winning in triple overtime. Yeah, I remember so, it's insane. It was an awesome game. It was the best way to go out. That's wonderful. So you think about it, and, and you end up getting the Tommy Love Award, right? Yeah. Even folks that have been here at Michigan State probably don't all know what this award is about. Can you share with the listeners yeah, a little so bit about that? It's given to the most improved player, and that meant a lot to me just because, well, one, some of the guys that have gotten that award in the past, you know, just the history and everything that's gone into the program, it's, it's uh, very humbling. But I guess my whole mantra my whole life has been just, improving and overachieving my capabilities so i think that just kind of like solidified that's just what i've been trying to do the whole time and just continuously get better and in overachieve yeah coach antonio always talked about overachieving i never knew what he meant but i think that few guys do overachieve to their abilities and that's really what he always tried to strive for is like if you're this good if you can push yourself to be a little bit better than you're even supposed to be that's how we take a team that's full of two and three stars and win a big 10 championship which is exactly what we did That's awesome. I think about how often being in the business world, being around a lot of high performance people in professional sports, I hear about the max potential, but I've not heard that. I can't think of a time where I've heard, hey, achieving to your potential and then some. That's kind of like when you would talk about it, you don't fully understand and wrap your head around it. But I think the definition of overachieving is just compared to everyone else's baseline, right? If you do what everyone else is doing, that's usually someone's potential. But when you do all the little things right and stack on those extra wins, then you start to overachieve. You you exceed what people expect of you and what you expect of yourself a lot of times. What were you expecting of yourself after that senior year? Great senior year, but what were the expectations that you had of yourself at that time around football? It was similar to my college experience. I had no thought of the NFL a couple games into the season even. I didn't even know how it worked. I had three really good games to start off the year. I had a lot of good blocks. We ran the ball a ton. And all of a sudden, you know, Jarrell Worthy, I remember him coming up to me and Le'Veon Bell. And they were like, oh, the, the scouts keep asking about you. Like, who's 42? And I'm like, do we have another 42? Like, wh- who are they asking about me? And then, you know, it became more and more. And then the scouts started talking to me. And then all of a sudden, by the end of the year, I'm having to make a decision on which agent I'm going to go with. And it was just kind of a whirlwind. And so I don't even know if I I had time to have expectations, to be honest with you. I feel like when you're younger, it's kind of a day-by-day process. Yes. getting through the day. And that's just kind of how it went. And that's how football goes. Monday, it's Tuesday, game's coming up, and then on to the next day. You don't really comprehend what's going on. So after the season, I went down and and trained. And that was one of the uh, life-changing moments, too, is I knew I loved strength conditioning and, and going into that performance world. And I had the opportunity for my agent to pay for me to go train for three months. You're working out three times a day. You have a chef, all this stuff planned out. 
I almost viewed it as like a, an internship, a learning experience. Mm. Coach Antonio was a little mad because I had like seven credits left and I ended up leaving and not graduating for a couple of years. But I don't think I realized like that's, this is what I want to do. This is what I love. And so being able to go down and I kind of like intern and learn from Derek Touche, he owned a facility down in Naples, Florida. It's called Total Athletic Performance. And then I went back and worked for him as an intern after I got done playing and moved in with my wife, who was also training in Naples. So it worked out well. Take me up to the NFL draft day and shortly after that, what was that experience like for you and your family? It was surreal, especially for someone, again, in my town, no one even knew what, what that experience was like. We had a draft party. It was amazing. Signed right after. It's a, it's a frenzy after the draft for free agents. Just people calling. It's a million phone calls trying to figure out where everyone's going to land. But that was one of the most fun nights of my life. My whole family came in. You had like 100 people and, and That's just kind awesome. of lived it up. Where were you? We were in Jackson at, okay. this, at this small bar okay. and uh, just all local people. But it was even cool like when word came out that I had signed, people from high school I didn't talk to in a while and they show up and it was just cool to see. It was just The, the support was really cool. And, it, and it's actually funny. Some of the people that really doubted me in high school ended up actually showing up that night. I remember one of these people I distinctly remember and they wrote me like a congratulations card. And I was like, Hmm. In high school, you were trying to do everything you could do to prevent me. And this was also like the thing where you know, my dad was the coach. And they of course. Didn't think I was playing and they were writing letters to the superintendent. And I'm like, man, one, uh, you don't know that I know that you wrote those letters <laughs> previously. And two, like noted, you know, I got it. We know where we stand. Noted. <laughs> yeah. I love that. And so you went to the Rams. It was a short window of time. How hard was it to acknowledge that it was time to just hang it up and move into this next incredible chapter of your life? It honestly wasn't that hard. The way things panned out, like I just met my wife. She wasn't my, you know, yeah, now Katie. my wife. Yeah, Katie. Who's, who, by the way, you completely outkicked your coverage. I don't oh, care if yeah. you're an all-state kicker. Or oh, not. no, no, no. She's much cooler than me. <laughs> She's achieved much higher level of success. But, you know, I just had met her. My body was pretty banked up. I mean, my knee, I have a torn quad. Everything was just kind of falling apart, it felt like. I felt pretty at peace. I had a time where I could have kept playing the free agent life, bouncing around to teams, mm-hmm. all that stuff. And I just was kind of ready to be done. Not that I mentally was ready to move on. And like that transition was hard, but I think I was just ready to be on the football. I think I'd, I'd done a lot. I've achieved what I wanted to achieve and it was time to move on. You very quickly pivoted into this insane obsession yeah. with human performance in every aspect of it. You and I were talking about like sleeping tape. I've seen you share thoughts on creatine, melatonin, saunas, ice bath, the plunge. Yeah. I mean, your house is a sanctuary <laughs> yeah. for not just rehabilitation, but well-being and yeah. like holistic health in some respect, right? You became a certified strength and conditioning coach. What was the first job post-NFL when you said, this is it, this is what I'm doing the rest yeah. of my life? So I ended up starting to work at Equinox, which is like a big chain oh. in, in Florida. And I got a, a lot of amazing experience with them. They have a ton of resources and they're really trying to be on the cutting edge and just got connected with a lot of leaders in the field. And that was able to really spark my own personal interest to a higher level. I think through some of those connections, I was able to leverage that and become some sort of an expert just mm-hmm. by being around those people who are kind of leading the industry on the innovation side of, of wellness. I have a lot of credit to give to Equinox. I mean, I had an amazing career there. They treated me extremely well. And it's just been cool 
to stay in touch with those people and, yeah. and just be supportive. And hopefully the goal is to get the sleep mask and recovery stuff in their facilities and, and kind of be a full circle moment. I know you're completely obsessed about human performance in general, but right now, what is the project you're just giving everything you've got? So we're launching Dream Recovery. So it's going to be a recovery company. I have two partners out of Boston, but we're just obsessed with innovating and providing the best sleep and recovery support. We're targeting athletes, but it's really for any high performer. You know, athletes are like the perfect demographic because they're expected to perform at the highest level. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it kind of relays and trickles down to the general public. When we talk about overachieving, Dream Recovery is about creating products to help people overachieve in everyday life, whether it be sports, business, whatever it is, just optimizing your mindset and your productivity consistently every day. It's not like a one-day approach. It's, it's day after day optimized at a high level. I think that's mm-hmm. when people really see big differences. Was there someone else who was out there trying to do it? Or was it like maybe a personal need of yours that, that really kind of said, okay, this is where I'm going to focus and really go all in right now? I would say it stemmed from personal need. I get asked questions when I speak to athletes all the time about what mask, mouth tape, all these things. And I never had an awesome answer. There's some mm-hmm. good ones out there. There's some great products, but there was nothing that really stood out. And so just both the, the mask and the mouth tape, we bought every possible option out there and tried to just pick them apart. We don't have many options intentionally because we try to create the perfect option. So we went out and got the best quality silk, materials, the shape, everything's very well thought out and turned out awesome. I'm, I'm pumped to release it. What are two or three maybe symptoms that somebody has that you would say, hey, if you're experiencing these, this is something you should be checking out? On the, the sleep mask side, any amount of light is going to affect your deep sleep. They've done studies where even like a small light from an alarm clock can even affect your deep sleep cycle. So I think having complete blackout is a must. And I think rarely people really consider how blacked out their light is. A sleep mask is a super easy way to make sure you have blackout light. And the other thing is travel, right? Especially for athletes, but anybody, business, travel, whatever it may be, is we always talk about controlling the controllables as an athlete. Mm -hmm. And that's something that with a sleep mask, that's another controllable you can have in your corner. Whereas if you just rely on the hotel, you really don't know what type of situation you're walking into. What about snoring? Yeah. So, and then on the mouth tape side, you know, one from a personal experience, when I tape my mouth shut, I sleep a million times better. But, Hmm. you know, it's been shown in some studies to reduce snoring up to 25%. It can reduce symptoms of sleep apnea, which sleep apnea is definitely a serious condition. People, you don't want to take that lightly, but you know, working with a specialist is, is or doctor is always a, a must, but it can reduce those symptoms. There's tons of literature support that just breathing out of our nose in general is much healthier for us, right? And I was a big mouth breather. So when you optimize your breathing through your mouth, a lot of things seem to settle down or settle into place like blood pressure, heart rate, you know, a lot of your nitric oxide production, which, which is a, a link with your cardiovascular system is produced through breathing in your nose. So mm-hmm. it really just puts you in the right nervous system state. Mm-hmm. and allows you to sleep deeply and uninterrupted. I think breathing disruptions, especially breathing out of your mouth, is one of the main reasons people wake up a lot in the night. Hmm. Controlling the controllables. I love the fact that you brought that up. Sleep mask, mouth tape. What are two or three other simple things that people can do that are struggling with waking up often? Yeah. I think that temperature is a main driver of people waking up often. So, you know, the ideal sleeping temperature is like 65 to 68 degrees, which Mm -hmm. is significantly cooler than most people probably have in the room. But one of the main reasons people can't fall asleep or stay asleep 
is their body has a hard time regulating temperature. So allowing your body to cool down or having the ability to cool down is going to make a substantial difference. And it's normal to fluctuate temperatures throughout the night. So, you know, you want to have blankets and be able to be warm, but having it at a cool temperature allows you to adjust based on the changes of your temperature throughout the night. And then the other thing I would say with people waking up a lot, a lot of times people have to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. And when they deal with anxiety or, you know, ruminating thoughts or they're worried about something the next day, we think about waking up in the middle of the night is like, that's an opportunity for your mind to kind of take over and get caught on those thoughts. So you want to limit the amount of opportunities your brain has to get stuck in certain thought patterns. So we like to shift people's fluid intake to like the first 10 hours of the day and then kind of taper it off, right? And a lot of people drink a lot of dinner with their meal and then you have to go to the bathroom a lot. Every time you wake up, potentially you start thinking about something that could be worrying or you've been having a hard time with. And then all of a sudden the thoughts start to unfold and you can't fall back asleep. Because often when people can't fall back asleep... It's not really a sleep problem. It's more an anxiety and a stress management problem. A lot of people have sleep problems. And there's also a lot of people that think they can function well off like six hours of sleep. I don't know why it is that people do this, but they're like, oh, I only need to sleep five hours. So many people say that. I'm like, that sounds terrible. Yeah. And like if you had 100 people in this room, the amount of people that could function optimally off of six hours would be statistically zero people. Wow. So the chances that you're one of those people are so low. Why would you want to risk that? And it's also not a negative to sleeping a little bit more than you need. More than your minimum is totally fine. Yes. And some people's minimum is eight, nine hours. Is that a good average amount of sleep, you think, eight to nine hours? Yeah, I mean, the minimum recommended amount is seven hours. Yes. Which, But again, that's minimum. And people like, as soon as they hear that, they think, I'm shooting for seven hours. And that's not what we're trying to say. Eight is probably a good number to shoot for. So usually if you're shooting for eight, you're trying to get nine, right? Because there's usually an hour there where you can't fall asleep. Or that's a good buffer zone, which seems like a ton of time. But when you look at the statistics on the health impacts it has and just the longevity and your cognitive function, it's worth a couple extra hours. You know? yes. I don't think people realize how much higher of a level of efficiency and how much higher of function they can have sleeping optimally. When we kicked off the conversation, obviously football, we talked about human performance coaching. We talked about you're really becoming a serial entrepreneur, but you're also coaching and consulting with Fortune 500 companies all over the US. I don't think our listeners know that. Can you share a little bit about that? For the most part, it comes from a speaking background, but I think that there's a lot of companies out there that are now, it's kind of coming full circle where people realize that if my employees are functioning at a high level across the board, doing these things outside of the nine to five, the productivity goes through the roof. So they're investing in things like a cold plunge and sauna and gyms in their facilities, you know, in their offices. And people have a whole different perspective on that stuff. That used to be an extra that you did outside of work hours and you were kind of obsessed if you did that stuff. Well, now they're realizing based on the, the literature out there, if we implement these things with our employees, those eight hours they have at work are gonna be twice as productive. So we should start educating our team on this. And that's kind of what a lot of companies are turning to. And it's, it's cool to see because five years ago, that wouldn't even been a conversation. That's right. Yeah. So it's even amazing, you know, look at what like Huberman has done in his podcast. Oh my God, I mean, I'm he, obsessed. Uh, yeah, he kills it. Oh but my gosh. Five years ago, I don't think anyone, you know, I think it would have been really tough to market. But now people are really understanding the impact it has in things are taking off. Well, we were even talking about Lewis's mediocre or me- mediocre, meteoric yeah. rise, right? I yeah. mean, he's 
He's talking about everything from from wellness to kindness to being a, a great teammate or collaborator or human. Like yeah. five years ago, it was just like, hey, come in, punch the clock, do your work, do your 100%. job. You know, let me be really critical, give you feedback. Yeah. I mean, I have to give credit, like, you know, people love or hate him, but Joe Rogan was really the first person to curate some amazing guests. And he gave, I think, a lot of these doctors a platform where it became more mainstream. You know, a lot of these people, they're at universities and they're in PhD programs and they're not in media, so they can't get their voice out there. But, you know, he brought some people on that really sparked the interest and, and people started to realize, wow, like we should take this seriously. And now we're seeing kind of the outcome of that, which is really cool. So as we wrap up, people want to learn more about Dream Recovery. Where can they go? So April 21st, we're launching. It'll be a big online social media launch, but it's just dreamrecovery.io. I'm super excited about it. So if anybody messages me on Instagram, I'll give them a little discount code. We'll hook them up and, and get them set up. Where can they connect with you on Instagram? It's just Todd Anderson 42 Okay. And for the Fortune 500 companies or Fortune 1000 companies, Fortune 5000 companies, companies who care about investing in their greatest asset, which are their people, where can people reach out to you to contact you about coming in and speaking, coaching, consulting? any social platform, but majority through my website, I have a link to kind of get a hold of me and someone from my team will reach out and we'll, we'll get it going. And what's that website? It's just toddanderson42.com. Oh, it is toddanderson42. Yep. Okay, great. Todd, man, it was a pleasure to have you. Tremendous gratitude to your folks. Yeah, no, they're the best. I love the story of you waiting to listen. Yeah. To them say Napoleon, Michigan. Yeah. Got to laugh and cry today a little bit. Man, <laughs> I, I just I just love, love, love that story. So to all the folks from Napoleon, Michigan, Todd Anderson, I love it. Football, serial entrepreneurship, one of the top human performance coaches that I personally know. And I do know a lot. I do know a lot. I do know a lot. It was just a blessing and privilege to have you here today. This is awesome. Appreciate it. It means a lot. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks to my guest, Todd Anderson. You can connect with Todd on Instagram at Todd Anderson. And that's A-N-D-E-R-S-O-N 42 underscore. If you like what you heard today, please be sure to follow, rate, and review at the podium on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow the show on Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok at podium underscore podcast. Post about the show on social media. Tag us. We'll repost to share our gratitude. Also, if you're willing, consider telling a friend about the show. Friend to friend is still the best way to get the word out about our podcast, our guests, and these incredible stories. See you next time.